Welcome to Pod for the Cause, the official podcast of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, where we expand the conversation on critical civil and human rights challenges of our day. Coming to you from Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Ashley Allison. I got the pod squad. Hey. I got the pod squad. I got my girl, Risha Hatch, Managing Director of Campaigns for Color of Change, and my girl, Gabby C., Political Director for 1199 SEIU. Today, we are talking all things census. I think it's the sexiest civil rights topic we're going to be talking about right now. I wrote my college thesis on the census. We'll get to that at one point. The census is conducted every 10 years. It's required by our constitution. And a lot of people don't know about it. There's a lot of challenges that we're facing. So we want to talk about it. We need to make sure everyone is counted. It doesn't matter if you're a citizen or not. All people have to be counted. So I'm just going to start with a basic question. What was your first interaction with the census, Gabby? It was 2010. And I remember the census was happening and I was really excited because I'm a person that likes taking like surveys and questionnaires that just enjoy them for some reason. Like a BuzzFeed uh, quiz. Yeah, BuzzFeed <laughs> was created for me to take quizzes all day instead of like do actual work. <laughs> but anyways, I was like waiting for it and I got my census and I like sat down on my couch and had like a glass of wine and then I completed it in like seven minutes and I You're was so disappointed. <laughs> I was like, I wish the census was every day. This was so much fun. These are people that are in my household. It was like me and the guy that I dated at the time. Mm, uh, what is he? Girl, <laughs> I don't know, marry some woman, not me. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay, that's what he do it. Yeah. <laughs> had a flashback real quick. Okay. Arisha, what was your first interaction with the census? I actually don't remember ever taking the census. I don't remember the last one. I think I had just moved back home with my parents Uh after law school in deep debt. I had taken this like organizer job and wasn't making any money. But I think one of my first jobs, if I remember correctly, I could be like totally making this up because it was a long time ago. But I think one of my first jobs when I was like 17 or 18 in high school was they opened up one of these like call centers in my hometown, the census like pop up call center. And I think I like called people to remind them to like complete their census. Wow. Yeah. So here's the one reason- of many telemarketing jobs I've had randomly <laughs> really? in my life. Like I've done like a lot of telemarketing. Okay. Okay. That's another show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How to become a telemarketer. But one of the reasons why the census is important is in 2010, I was a law student in Brooklyn, New York, and now I live in Washington, D.C. Where were you in 2010? I was Kevin? in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. And what about you, Arisha? I was in Chino Hills, California. Do you, either of you live no. where you no. live right now? No, right? No, no, no. So the data that they're still using from 2010 has our old information. So it seems like I'm a law student in Bed-Stuy, you're in Columbus, and you're in Chino Hills. I don't even know where that is in California. But you don't live there now. I'm sorry. No shade towards Chino still Hills. still my heart. But, <laughs> I didn't mean to shade you, but I don't know where Chino Hills is. Okay? <laughs> Do you know where Youngstown, Ohio is? No. So let's no, keep it moving. No. Anyway, is that they're using the data from 2010. And the reason why it's conducted every 10 years because a lot of stuff can change yeah. in 10 years. You can have a baby. You can get married. I mean, that has not happened to me. Yeah. But I don't live in New York yeah. anymore. <laughs> and I do live in Washington, D.C. It's also because census data makes a lot of decisions based on I have a Whole Foods in my neighborhood. How many people? How much money do they make? You know, what's the demographic versus what hospitals I need to have access to? But the thing about it is 
you were at a call center. In order for people to fill out the census, it happens in a couple of ways. First, they get a form mailed to them. And if they don't fill it out, they might have someone call or knock on their door called an enumerator. But the other thing that's really cool about the census this year is that it's online. People can actually oh, I didn't know fill, that. Yeah, it's the first time the census could actually be done online. But there's also a lot of challenges. For young people, we're a very transient population. You know, what are some of the tips that you would give to people if you were telling them to fill out the census, Arisha? Like, why should they be filling out the census in 2020? For all the reasons Ashley just named, a lot of decisions about resource allocation to your community are going to be made based on that. Decisions about how different elected seats are going to be like allocated within your community are going to be made based on the shifts 10 years later. But I think for me, one of the reasons I'm excited about the census now, even though I don't remember it 10 years ago, is because I like randomly got into Ancestry.com. Like I did all the bad things. I gave them my DNA. Don't do that. Where are you from? from? What did they tell you? Well, they shifted it. I learned a few things. But like Mali, like the Congo or some of like the African places. Oh, cool. They tried to tell me that I was like 25% Irish and they like took it back and revised it. So whatever. It doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't know any more information. But what was like really cool about Ancestry was that you could build your own family trees and you can go and look up old records of folks. And so like for a lot of black people, my family doesn't have a huge family tree or a big history. Right. There are a lot of because of slavery, because of slavery, a lot of portions of our families like lost. Yeah. And to be able to go back and look at census records, you can actually like, you know, so for, you know, my grandmother and my great grandmother, and my great great, you know, you can see their names and writing. And then there's a point for me when there weren't names for people right. in my family. There was like a tick mark. They were slaves slaves or someone was classified as mulatto. So I just became fascinated by like looking at these old census records. And I'm now thinking about it in a way that's like, oh, this is one way to sort of preserve for history that you existed. Hopefully our world lasts long enough so that my like triple great granddaughter is trying to look me up and try to figure out who I am. Um, And so I think that's one of the cool things about the census. But there are a lot of like worrisome things about it especially under a trump administration and i just have a general worry in that is the census just racist because you were just mentioning how young people people of color are increasingly transit right and we move around i mean i've lived in columbus dc new york so i've lived in three places within the last 10 years and within that like three different places in new york three different places in dc if we know that and we still only count people every 10 years, are people intentionally trying not to count people of color or poor people or people who are more transient? Like, I understand the operation of a census and what it takes to get done. So we can't do like a census every year. But if we know a good segment of the population is not going to be accounted for or are going to be moving and we don't move the allocation so much, you know, mm-hmm. my union is a healthcare union. The amount of Medicaid dollars that go to hospitals and nursing homes homes and places where we provide services is based on that. And the people who use these programs mostly are largely a lot of people of color, and particularly in urban places like, you know, New York City. If we're, yeah. if we're in Nebraska, might be different. But it's something that it's supposed to count everyone and it is inherently unfair. So is it racist? So I'm not going to go as far as to say since it's racist. But <laughs> not helpful. Pardon me. Not helpful. <laughs> but what I will say is that in this Trump administration, there has been something that has been added to the census, which is a citizenship question. So every 10 years from the last census in 2010 until the census now, I'm like, I love the census. OK, I just really do. So I get really excited when I talk about it. But 
They do a lot of testing to make sure that the document and the questionnaire is user friendly so that for the exact reason what you were talking about, Gabby, it's hard for people to trust the government and fill out forms. They want to make sure that that form, when you get it, you can check, check, check and you get counted and you're on your way. This administration, no surprise, Steve Bannon, Jeff Sessions suggested to the Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross to add, quote unquote, a citizenship question to the questionnaire to enforce the Voting Rights Act, which is. Bullcrap. Okay, it's not true. And now there's a court case that we're going to talk about in our next segment. But there is a court case right now to get the question removed. We know that the reason why that question was added was to do exactly what you were saying. In this climate of fear, when the Trump administration is attacking immigrants, they do not want particularly brown people with our changing demographics in our country to be counted. And so to put a question on there about whether or not you're a citizen or not, they want to disappear brown and black people who are immigrants in this country and make them afraid to get a knock on the door to complete their census. So in that instance, yes, that question is a racist question that is unnecessary, untested, and unfair and will harm the count and political representation across the country, which will have dramatic impact. Hospitals, schools, yes, but political reapportionment is also yeah, decided by the, the census. Thing, yeah. So it definitely does have some implications. There are a couple of things that people can do, like they can call their congressperson and say, take the question off. Congress can fix this. The Supreme Court can fix this. It's actually going to make a decision in June. Sorry to get on my soapbox, but it's like we know what this administration is doing. And in this climate of fear, it is trying to fear immigrants to get it counted. What do you have to say about that, Arisha? I mean, it's a lot. And it's not just, you know, undocumented and immigrant communities that I think might have some fear around participating in the census. It's also lots of black people, formerly incarcerated folks might have concerns about giving any information over to this administration or to this government. Whoever might feel worried about how their information might be used against them. I think we'll have a cause for concern. But more than that, like it's like our people, people of color, young people, those are the hardest to count folks. We see the repercussions of that in terms of whether or not we have a government that looks like us or represents us, whether we have the resources that we need in our communities to actually help our communities thrive. I'm personally interested to, we've been talking for years about how people of color are going to become the majority, a majority minority country. Like, have we made it yet? Like, we haven't, let's like yeah. check in and yeah. see where we are. How have our neighborhoods changed? Mm-hmm. You know, once inner city black neighborhoods might not be like black neighborhoods mm-hmm. anymore. Or mm-hmm. so like the complexion of our country has changed and I think it'll be interesting to see like exactly how have things changed the last 10 years my question previously was a little bit interested about it being racist I think I well I was gonna I was gonna say I think every, like, everything racist is kind of yeah. kind of racist but that's another <laughs> I mean show we live in another... a society based on white supremacy so it's fair to say but how do you politicize the census it is like the most fundamental thing that just allows us to exist as a country and the extent to which this administration has gone to politicize things that just are not political like Supreme Court cases around a question around it just shows you how far our country has fallen the fact that something we do every 10 years and have done every 10 years I don't know when, when was the first census a long time ago. Did you write your thesis <laughs> I, just, on I just assume you know everything about the census that you were just in your thesis on it. <laughs> I mean, that was, for the record, that was in 2005. What, what, was, your, what was your actual hypothesis? In your yeah. Thesis? Well, the conversation was on the multiracial category. So in 2000, mm. 
they let people who identified like normally people would just check black but they were saying like you know like black people we are very complex folks so mm-hmm. your ancestry.com listen maybe irish you, you could check white you could mm-hmm. check mm-hmm. black you could check native american listen i found out in 2012 that i had 20 white canadian family members that came down from canada to visit my family in youngstown ohio i was like what you know what i mean so like we're complex people and so it was the conversation about that about whether or not people should check it wasn't whether people should or not but the benefit of having a multiracial option on mm-hmm. the census that mm-hmm. was with my yeah. Mom. yeah i do want to say that we are a pod for the cause leadership conference podcast this is the pod squad with arisha from color of change and gabby from 1199 seiu we have a census counts campaign you can go to censuscounts.org and sign up to get up-to-date information on how you can get engaged how you can get involved the one thing i want to talk about on the census is that it is happening in 2020 and there's something else happening in 2020 oh, yeah, I, wonder hmm, what. I wonder what that is the presidential <laughs> election so how can we use the census as an opportunity to inform people about our democracy but also inform them about getting voting what do you think about that Gary? i mean i think that's just a perfect opportunity for us to draw a clear connection to like you taking this simple action can have a big impact i mean one of the reasons people are disenchanted with politics or apathetic is because they feel like their vote doesn't matter like what does this really change how does this really count and the census is an opportunity to demonstrate how that counts and I think this will be very interesting test who are the candidates that are talking about the census because people who believe in every person being counted typically believe in every person voting as well yeah and so if a presidential candidate is not talking about the importance of this census I think we should ask ourselves a question why hmm. and challenge candidates like yeah. why aren't you talking about ensuring every person is this basically counted do you feel like every year are we going back to three-fifths a person like what are we talking about here right yeah i mean i think the link between them is like there's power i'd say this power is like on the table and being counted as another way of like flexing it doesn't feel like it when you're like taking a survey and checking a box but it is part of building power for your community and so, I mean, I think that's why the other way that it's linked is that, you know, hopefully in a election cycle year, we'll be talking organizations that do work like the Leadership Conference or SEIU or Color of Change. And the folks that we work for will be talking to voters, but we'll also be like talking to people who are not eligible voters, asking them to show up and participate. And so I just think it's one more way that you can like participate in building power for your family and for your community. So, you know, about the census, it does play a large role on allocations of funds. And Arisha, you talked a little bit about this. When you talk about power, let's get real specific. So you take the census and then districts are drawn for your congressional office. Sometimes people lose seats for the House of Representatives based on population. We're from Ohio, Gabby and I. We don't live in Ohio anymore. So when people like us move out of the state, it changes the population of the state and how many political seats you could potentially have representing you. But it also goes down to a different level, and that's on the state level, right? So you do the congressional redistricting, but then they do state house districts, right? So in Youngstown, Ohio, which is typically a blue-collar Democratic stronghold, depending on how that population is counted from this census, will determine what your house seat looks like. So we are really, really talking about political power here and who will be represented. I also say that I think the census is one stop on our cycle of democracy. 
if we don't fill out the census in 2020, who we are represented by will be determined based on the redistricting that I just described. We then have to go vote. Voting is a big part of our democracy so we can elect people that actually represent us. Then once we elect people, we have a case that's focused on the census in the Supreme Court right now. Those senators who are elected, they get to confirm Supreme Court justices that will hear a case like whether or not the citizenship question should be on the census. And right now, Trump has two nominees that he's been able to get confirmed. One, Brett Kavanaugh, and we don't even want to talk about that this time Mm -hmm. because, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a nightmare of a confirmation. Neil Gorsuch, God willing and the creek don't rise, we don't have another Supreme Court fight on our hands under the Trump administration. But it's all cyclical and we have to be involved on every single level. We can't just vote. We can't just fill out the census. We can't just pay attention to one issue or not. It all is connected. We're stuck with the results for the next 10 years, whether you were counted or not. And so it impacts a lot of things. Like you said, it's not just one thing. Like we often at Color Change talk about voting as like a part of exercise. Like it might be like the stretching, but it's not like the whole thing. Right. You have to stretch. You got to lift weights. You got to do cardio. You got to do all the horrible stuff that none of us want to do if you're hoping to keep your body healthy. And tight for summer. (laughs) It's almost here. It's almost here. My summer body is not ready for summer, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing I want to say is an opportunity, particularly for young people. Risha, you mentioned that you worked in a call center. There are job opportunities for people in communities called enumerators. And those are the folks that go and canvas door to door to get people to fill out their census. One of the reasons why we want people from local communities to have those jobs is that they're trusted. You know, if you see the person walking down the street and then they knock on your door and say, fill out the census. So there's a lot of job opportunities, too. One of the challenges, though, is that the budget has been cut. And so there's not going to be as many enumerators. But people of color, young people over index on social media. So we really do need to utilize the benefit of the online component to make sure people fill out the census. So if you had to give like your best plea as to why your non-engaged young millennial of color should fill out the census, what would your elevator pitch be and why? I would tell them that so many of the resources that our communities, that our families, that we depend on, these decisions are made based on how many people show up for the census. I also think it's a huge opportunity to show and to make a mark, your mark in history and say, like, I existed. This is where I existed. This is who I was living with. This is what I was doing at this point in time. And so I just think it's really important to participate. Like, you know, if you have a kid who needs Head Start or who needs school lunches, like participating in the census is if you want to like actually have hospitals that can cover the emergency needs of your community, like participate in the census. But, you know, for me, I'm really like, like excited to see how our country has changed. I'm excited to see how people of color have continued to grow and hopefully like thrive. And so I just think it's important for us to participate and show up in the data mm-hmm. that's going to yeah. um, be used to justify a lot of different things. Yeah, Like the number one thing I hear from young people, the number one thing I feel is that people don't see me. They don't see my full self. They don't see where I live. You're not listening. And no one can listen to you or be heard unless you state your claim, unless you say, this is my country. I'm Gabby. I'm 33 years old. I'm a black woman. I live in Brooklyn. Like that is how we are seen. That is how we are heard. And that's how we are, we are respected. And I will also tell them that all the demands that we're going to have for these 2020 candidates for folks that are going to be running for president 
if you want them to see you, if you want them to hear you, this is the first step. And I get it. There are lots of people. I've been recently having conversations about if we're in a simulation or not and if like all these things are real oh and, my God. Like that. and it was just this like another thing that I hear from a lot of young people the census is the matrix <laughs> <laughs> but I promise you this is real and even if we are in a simulation even if you don't believe that like the government is a real thing like the census is a real thing it affects you here and right now and all these big questions that we have around if we're in a simulation or if government is oh whatever it is what matters most is the action that you can take right now and this is something that you have to do also, if you don't participate in the census, someone is more likely to come knock on your door and try to get your information. Anyway, so if you want to avoid the enumerator, <laughs> if you don't like people right. coming to knock on your door, and ask you just to go, go on online. The form just, go fill on, it just go fill it out. Yeah. Just go yeah. fill it out. So everyone should fill out the census, regardless of your citizenship status, regardless if you're formally incarcerated or not. Everyone deserves to be counted. If you want more information on how to be counted, visit censuscounts.org to get late-breaking news and updates on how to get engaged. Thank you to my girls, Arisha Hatch from Color of Change and Gabby C. from 1199 SEIU for holding it down today on the Pod Squad. Coming up, we have a special guest with us today, Dale Ho, the director of the Voting Rights Project at the ACLU. pod for the cause where we talk all things census the census is probably one of the most important civil rights issues of our time it happens every 10 years the last one was in 2010 this next one is in 2020 and recently the trump administration added a question on citizenship status which we know in this climate of fear is probably going to depress the count today we have a guest that argued in front of the supreme court recently and is really working hard to defend our civil and human rights and get this question off of the census it's the director of the voting rights project at the aclu dale ho thanks for joining us today dale Thanks so much for having me. So let's just jump right into it. Can you tell our listeners what this case is about and why you filed it? The census, as you said, happens every 10 years. It's the basis for almost everything we do statistically as a country. It's in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3. It says that every 10 years, we're going to have a count of the total population of the United States. That includes everyone, adults, children, citizens, non-citizens. And in the Constitution, the reason why it's there is to divvy up representation in the House of Representatives in Congress and votes in the Electoral College among the states. Each state is supposed to get seats in Congress and thus votes for president based on the number of people who live in those states. Doesn't um, matter if they're a citizen or not. Doesn't matter if you're a citizen just or people. not. Just people. Okay. That's in the Constitution. That's been the case since the founding. And more recently, the federal government has used census numbers to divvy up about $900 billion in federal funds annually for things like education, infrastructure, health care, all based on, again, the number of people, because every state's needs are going to depend upon how many people live in those states. What the census hasn't done for the last 70 years is have a question about citizenship, because what the Census Bureau professionals have recognized, and this has been under both Republican and Democratic administrations, is that if you add a question on citizenship, that's going to scare some people from participating in the census. And if we get an inaccurate count, 
That means our distribution of political representation will be inaccurate and our distribution of federal funding will be inaccurate. And everyone who lives in a community with non-citizens and immigrant populations will suffer as a result. So we're not just talking about the non-citizens themselves, the immigrants themselves. Everyone who lives in those communities and states will suffer. And in this day and age with our country, which is made up of immigrants, immigrants live everywhere. So every community, regardless whether it's urban or rural, coastal state or in the Midwest, will be Mm -hmm. impacted because of this question. That's absolutely right. And it's not just going to hurt so-called blue states like California and New York. It's going to hurt states like Texas, Arizona, Florida are states that have large non-citizen populations. And so we've known that for decades that this would be a really bad idea. And then all of a sudden, last year, the Trump administration announced, boom, we're going to put this question on the census where it hasn't been for seven decades. When that happened, you basically said, not on our watch. We're not letting this happen. And we're going to take this to court. So what'd you do? So we filed a lawsuit. We represent four immigrants' rights organizations, including the New York Immigration Coalition and Make the Road, both located in New York. We filed suit in federal court to try to get this question knocked off the census because we know how damaging it's going to be to this basic, basic constitutionally required count of our entire population. And then once you filed the suit, you argued the case, and I thought you won. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we won the trial, you know, so we were in a trial court in Manhattan in federal court. We had a trial that went on for about three weeks. We put on evidence about just how bad this is going to be for the census, evidence from people who work in immigrant communities and from political scientists, experts on survey research. We had a former director of the Census Bureau testify on our side, all explaining that it's just going to wreck the census, make it totally inaccurate. And the judge heard that evidence and looked at it really carefully and then issued a 300 page opinion explaining why we were right. And so some things came out also during this case when you were in what we call the discovery phase and trying to build your evidence. Can you tell our listeners kind of what the administration that decided to add the Trump administration said they were adding this to enforce the Voting Rights Act? When you dug a little deeper, what would you find? So the Trump administration said that they need to put this question on the census to enforce the Voting Rights Act. And that in and of itself I think just raises a huge red flag because the Trump administration hasn't done a single thing to enforce the Voting Rights Act. They're the the first administration since the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965 that has not filed a single case to enforce the Voting Rights Act. So it's obviously not a priority for this administration. But I mean, even just leaving all that aside, I mean, we've enforced the Voting Rights Act for over 50 years without a question about citizenship on the census. Now, sometimes you do need information about citizenship to protect voting rights. Like you need to know how many citizens live in a particular place when you're drawing districts to make sure that those districts fairly represent really communities of color and their voting power. And I'm not sure that communities of color is really what Trump is too concerned about. I mean, just that on its face, right? Like the notion that like the Trump administration is trying to protect the voting rights of communities of color, that's just bananas, right? I mean, there's just absolutely no way. So just on its face, we know that this just doesn't pass the smell test. They say that they got the idea in December of 2017 when the Department of Justice sent a letter to the Census Bureau saying, hey, we could use this question to enforce the Voting Rights Act. 
the head of the Commerce Department, which oversees the Census Bureau, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, he testified in Congress that he started thinking about this issue when he got this letter from the Department of Justice in December of 2017, that he didn't talk to anyone in the Trump White House about it, and that he was taking it really, really seriously. Well, after we sued, we got information through the discovery process, as you mentioned, including emails of Wilbur Ross, which showed that for months, long before the Department of Justice ever sent that letter to the Census Bureau, he was demanding that they add this question on citizenship to the census. He wasn't talking about the Voting Rights Act. He wasn't talking about protecting communities of color. In fact, he was talking about doing exactly the opposite. He was complaining that states get representation in Congress because of their immigrant populations and that that was supposedly unfair to citizens. So he lied about why he added the question. He said he wanted to protect communities of color's voting rights, but in fact, it's the opposite. He wanted to arm those very communities. He lied about when he started thinking about it. It was at the beginning of 2017, not at the end. And it came out that he was talking to Steve Bannon about this. So he lied about whether or not he was talking to the White House. And we all know Steve Bannon's, he doesn't work at the White House anymore, but his agenda is totally anti-communities of color, anti-immigrant, anti-women, anti-LGBTQ people. So the connection with this question and Steve Bannon is a huge red signal that (laughs) something ain't right here. So then the opinion came down from the judge in the trial court saying, take the question off. And then there was appeal and you found yourself in the Supreme Court. That's right. So, you know, we won the case sometime in January of this year. The judge you know, had looked at all the evidence, said, like, this doesn't add up. They say they want to do this to protect the voting rights of communities of color. And that just doesn't make any sense. It's not reflected in the internal emails that the Commerce Department, including Secretary Ross, were sending around and that it'll wreck the census. Found that California, Texas, Florida, Arizona, Illinois and New York were all at a high risk of losing representation in Congress if this question were added. The government itself predicted that six and a half million people would not respond to the census if the question were there. And just to put that in perspective, six and a half million people, that's like if you took our seven smallest states and combined all of their population. It's a big deal. It's like about one out of 50, basically. I mean, it's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. (laughs) It's a lot of people. It would be like if the state of Missouri just went poof, just vanished. If they were a state, those six and a half million people, they'd have, I think, eight representatives in Congress and 10 votes in the Electoral College for president. So we're not talking about a small thing. We're talking about a large number of people, mostly people of color. So we know exactly which communities are being hurt by this. The judge ruled in our favor. But then the federal government, the Trump administration, took an appeal to the Supreme Court. They ran there and they asked the Supreme Court to review the case really, really fast. Normally it takes years for a case to get from the trial court up to the Supreme Court. But we had the decision in January and we ended up getting heard in the Supreme Court in April. So just about three months which is just crazy. Yeah. Litigation usually takes years. But when you have an agenda, you try and expedite things, right? Right. So tell us about that day. So you are 
First of all, I was talking to you earlier and I was saying, you know, it's so impressive that, you know, where you are in your career and you get to argue in front of the highest court of the land. So, you know, it happened a couple of weeks ago. But first, thank you for doing that and for fighting for our democracy because we need people like you. And I think it would be really encouraging for our listeners to also know that people like you are out there fighting and they, too, can follow career paths of being an attorney and really fighting to save our democracy. But take us to that day. Take us in the courtroom. You like wake up. You got to wake up early probably just to get right. Your suit is pressed. You know, you pick your tie. It's like, what's my power tie for the day? And you show up in front of the justices. And what happens? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It was a new suit, new tie. You know? I know, that's right. <laughs> it's like to... Sunday's best. It's like, you know, <laughs> I might, if I was going, I might have had a crown little hat or something. But you got to look sharp. It's a big day. It was a big day. I've been in court a lot of times, but I'd never argued in the Supreme Court. I've had a couple of cases up there, you know, sat at a table, carried someone else's briefcase. But this time I got up to the podium and, you know, it was a lot of work. Normally you have a few months to prepare for just the argument itself. Maybe you have half a year to write the briefs and then a few months just to prepare for the arguments. We had, I think, between when we won in the trial court and when our brief was due, we had maybe two months before our brief was due. And then I had three weeks after that to prepare. Wow. So yeah, what would normally be, you know, maybe three or four months of preparation got compressed into three weeks. Can I ask you a question though? How many people does it take to prepare for something like that? Like we see you, you get to be the face, right? But like what army is behind you to get this right? It was absolutely an army. I mean, it was not me by myself at all. I mean, we had a huge team here just at the ACLU of six lawyers working on the case. We had co-counsel from a law firm and they had a big team, you know, I think around 10 lawyers who were working on the case. Our case wasn't the only case, actually. There was a case filed by the Attorney General of New York on behalf of 18 states and a number of cities, and they had a big team working on the case, too. And then we got advice from like a dozen more people who were helping me prepare for the oral argument. So it really is the kind of thing that takes a village. It's not like I was some kind of superhero by myself up there arguing the case. In your new suit. (laughs) I mean, I was the one standing there, but there was a whole army of people whose work went into it. And we were working around the clock to get ready for this because, you know, there's no do over. Right. Okay. So you're in the court. I'm sorry I kind of cut you off, but I wanted to just get a sense like, you know, it's interesting to see how the sausage is made too, right? So you're at the court in front of the justices. It's like go time. What happens? You're at the Supreme Court. It's not a huge room, actually. It's, you know, pretty small, actually, and they pack as many people as they can fit in there. So there may be about 400 people. I don't know if that sounds like a lot or not, but it's not like a, you know, like a stadium or something like that. But a lot of people who work on voting rights were there in the room. A lot of national media are there. It's being recorded. So, you know, the pressure's on. You know, a lot of people are going to be watching your performance pretty closely. And then the podium itself, it's closer to the justices of the Supreme Court than any other courtroom that I've ever been in, in terms of just how close you are to the actual judge. Sometimes you're 20, 30 feet back from the judge here. You know, you're maybe 10 feet away. Wow. And are they sitting higher than you? They're sitting higher than you. No, they're looking down. (laughs) They're looking down. But, you know, you've seen all these people on TV. You've read about them. You've heard their voices, at least if you work in civil rights work regularly. And it's a little intimidating. All these people you've seen and to be that close to them and for them all, they can interrupt you at any time with any question on any subject. It was an intense experience. You were obviously well prepared, but what was the toughest question you got asked that day? 
to be honest, we had practiced so many times. I think I had six practice sessions, each of which I was being peppered with questions for at least an hour. And we had heard every question. We'd come up, I think, with that army of lawyers. We'd come up with just about anything that they could ask. So there weren't really any big surprises that day. You know, it's obviously still difficult. You know, one thing that did surprise me, I will say, and it wasn't a question to me, but for some other people, is that some of the more conservative justices who normally say they don't care what other countries do, all they care about is what United States law is and what it says and what it requires and what our history is. You know, we had Justice Kavanaugh, for example, and I think Justice Gorsuch asking questions about what the United Nations recommends for censuses, which is kind of bizarre. You know, they don't normally care about the international context. And, you know, here there's a UN document that talks about the importance of knowing how many citizens are in your country. And they kind of seized on that. So it was kind of interesting that these conservative justices who don't normally seem to care much about international law were seizing on it at a time when maybe they thought it served their side. And they're the two newest justices on the court, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Both appointed by Trump. Trump, yes. So we pretty much know what their agenda probably is, too. So what do you think is going to happen? Or is it bad luck to kind of, <laughs> I mean, we hope we win. I don't like to predict. We know right now that in civil rights cases, this is a very difficult court for us. There's no way of sugarcoating that. In a lot of these cases, people are trying to target Chief Justice Roberts as potentially the swing vote here. And he isn't someone who has voted on the side of civil rights plaintiffs very frequently over the course of his career. I mean, he, you know, he gutted was, the Voting Rights Act. Gutted the Voting Rights Act six years ago. And, you know, if you go back in his career, way back to the early 80s, when he was in the Reagan administration, I mean, he wrote memo after memo at that time, urging Reagan to veto a renewal of the Voting Rights Act. So he's not someone who historically the civil rights community has regarded as a friend. And the fact that he's the swing vote now, I think, speaks volumes about where the court is. So we know it's hard. All that being said, I think we put on a really strong case. We put on, the, I think, the best case that was possible. There isn't a single person who has worked on a census before who thinks that this is a good idea. Democrat or Republican, independent. Democrat or Republican. It's just everyone who has any expertise on trying to get a count of the population knows that this is a terrible, terrible idea. And all the evidence is there on our side. You know, it's just a matter of whether or not the court is going to listen to that evidence. And so do you think that it could be just a clear cut, keep it on, take it off? Or is there an in-between space that might happen, do you think? I mean, it's possible that the court could say, we don't think you did this for the Voting Rights Act. We want to know what your real reason is. And if you tell us what the real reason is, then we'll evaluate at that time whether or not you had a good enough reason to do this. That's possible, but I think it's most likely that the court is either going to say on or off. And then there were other lawsuits that were filed. So what happened with those? Do they all come together? Where's the process with the other lawsuits? So there were a total of six lawsuits filed. And this is, I think, speaks to the village that, you know, we were talking about that it takes to build a case like this. Right. Two filed in New York, two filed in California, two filed in Maryland. And each of those pairs of cases were heard together. So there was a trial in New York, a trial in California, a trial in Maryland. In every one of those trials, the judges found, so we're talking about three different federal judges, all found that it would wreck the census and that the administration basically lied about why they wanted to do it, that it had nothing to do with the Voting Rights Act. 
you know, our case was decided first. Our case and the other case from New York are the ones that went up to the Supreme Court and were heard by the court. And I think whatever happens there is going to resolve everything. So I'm here with Dale Ho, who is the director of the Voting Rights Project at the ACLU. He argued to remove the citizenship question off of the 2020 census in front of the Supreme Court just a few weeks ago. And we're having this important conversation because you talked a little bit about this at the earlier part of our conversation about political representation and the what was it? Nine hundred billion dollars that is distributed across the community. But there are other people like businesses and hospitals that use this information. So Let's just play this out. Let's say that there's more conservative justices on the court. There's five of those versus four of the ones that we think might vote to take it off. We have to do this scenario planning in our real life and on our jobs because we owe it to the public to make sure we're prepared. If they don't take it off, what else can we do? Do we have any other recourse to try and get this question removed? Congress could always pass a law that requires getting it off, but I think that would be really tough in this political environment. And then, of course, the president could veto any law, any bill that gets passed. But I think you've made a really good point that it's not just, you know, the government that uses census data. Businesses use census data. There was a brief that was filed in the case by Univision, Levi's, Uber and Lyft and a bunch of other businesses that said that if this question's on here and it wrecks the census, it's going to screw up our business plans in a lot of ways because we make decisions about where to expand where to seek out our customers based on census data that tells us where populations live. And if that data is inaccurate, it's going to make life harder, not just for government, but also for businesses. So Congress can act. Right. They just haven't. Yes. No surprise. Okay. But but we do have an opportunity that regardless of what the decision is, we can push Congress to take action and to try to move this question because the count is going to happen, right? That's right. We have to do it by the Constitution because of the Constitution. It's happening next year, next April. Next April. So let's say the question is on and I am not a citizen and I get the form. What can we tell people about filling it out? The first thing we have to tell people is that it's required by law. Everyone is legally obligated to fill out a census form and to answer every question on the census. So I I don't want there to be any confusion about that. You know, Attorney General Sessions at one point testified in Congress, if you don't like it, you don't have to answer the question. And it was just just really remarkable because he's the nation's chief law enforcement officer and he's getting the law wrong about what people are required to do. So we're required to answer the census. Everyone should know that responses to the census are confidential. The Commerce Department has it. It doesn't go to immigration enforcement or anything like that. It can't be shared. So you should feel confident that your information will be secure. Sometimes we hear people talking about how they want to boycott the census or maybe boycott the question because they're angry about this question being put on there. And my message to those folks is that if you do that, then the Trump administration's already won. They put this question because they want to drive down census participation in communities of color and in immigrant communities. And if you don't respond to the census or you don't answer the question because you're angry about it, then you've basically given up the fight. It's really important that everyone respond to the census because that count is going to determine how much representation and how many federal dollars your community gets. And we need those because we need the schools, we need the hospitals, we need the roads, we need all the things that make communities thrive and prosper. 
And we need the votes in Congress to bring about some change eventually. To pass laws that would take this type of question off. Right. So I just want to thank you for being on the show today. The census is so important. I want to thank you for your leadership and in guiding this lawsuit to the Supreme Court. We support the work you do. The Leadership Conference is in close communication with the ACLU. So thank you and the whole army of lawyers that worked (laughs) to fight this case. We are not going to let go. If this question is still on, we're going to fight, fight, fight to get it off. Thank you, my guest, Dale Ho, the director of the Voting Rights Project for the ACLU. Be counted, get counted, fill out your census form. Coming up, I'll hit you with some real talk during our hot take, where I get a few things off my chest in three minutes or less. Welcome back, everybody. It's Pod for the Cause. I'm your girl, Ashley Allison, the host of the show, and we have covered everything you could imagine about census. We had Dale Ho talk about the citizenship question that's in front of the Supreme Court. The Pod Squad talked all things census to them. And it just had me thinking that after the 2016 election, the resistance was real. We took to the streets. We went to airports. We signed petitions. We did anything we could do to stop the inhumane, racist policies of the Trump administration. That we included people with disabilities, immigrants, black and brown people, women, LGBTQ people, indigenous people, and all of our allies. We said, not today. We will not be silenced. We will not disappear. We are here. So not today, Trump. The Trump administration isn't hiding that they want to take our power away bit by bit. They don't want you to vote. They don't want your voice heard. And they don't want you to count. And to be clear, they don't want you to fill out the census. They hope that the addition of the citizenship question will disappear six million people from this country. But not today. They want us left with decision makers that do not respect us. People who literally believe Brown versus the Board of Education was decided wrong, which would mean segregation was right. People who put babies in cages. I thought they believed in family values. Experience life as a black woman or as an immigrant or a queer person or a person with a visible or invisible disability. You know that on a daily basis, your existence is disrespected. But what do we say to bigots? Not today. What do we say to white supremacists? Not today. What do we say to all the haters? Not today. You will not take away my existence through hate, fear, and definitely not a question on the census. So listen, I like to think I know all things, but I really don't know how the Supreme Court will rule on whether or not to take off the citizenship question. But let me pause here. And if you're listening, Justice Roberts, take it off. You can do it. I believe in you. But whether or not the justices take it off, I do know we can make our voices heard. Baseline, get counted. Fill out your census form as complete as you feel comfortable and then help others in your community get counted. And if you want to know how to do that, visit censuscounts.org to find out more information about how to get plugged into our campaign. 
We need to be heard, we need to be seen, and we have to be counted. Thank you for listening to Pod for the Cause. For more information, please visit civilrights.org. And to connect with me, hit me up at Pod for the Cause on all social platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app and leave a five-star review. Until then, for Pod for the Cause, I'm Ashley Allison. Remember, a cause is nothing without the people. Fight the power!